Well, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 20 and verse 1. Matthew 20 and verse 1 as we continue the parables of Christ throughout this summer. Matthew 20 and verse 1. You know, today we live in a quote-unquote fairness world. But God's kingdom operates differently than man's kingdom. He who is creator and redeemer of mankind is the one who determines what is fair. This means being Lord, he calls the shots. But I want you to remember, he is both just and justifier of those who believe in Jesus. And this is what we see in our parable for today, which compares the kingdom of heaven to a landowner hiring laborers for his vineyard. So I want you to follow along as I read the first 16 verses of Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, He sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the scorching of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. What we just read here is an extension of Peter's response that we find there in 1927 to 30 to what Jesus shared with the rich young ruler beginning back in 19 verse 16. And I say this because the first word of chapter 20 in verse 1 is for, indicating that the following parable here illustrates what was just communicated from Jesus. Look with me at verse 21 of chapter 19. Here you have the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and asked, How do I obtain eternal life? And this is what Jesus said to him. 
If you wish to be complete, go and sell your positions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and follow me. In other words, to have eternal life, you must forsake all, all that you're trusting in. Turn to Jesus, trust him and follow him if you want to have eternal life. Well, look at what verse 27 says. Peter, being present along with the rest of the disciples, had a response to all this. He said, Behold, we, speaking of the disciples, left everything and followed you. What then will be for us? I think that's quite an interesting statement. We'll come back to that. And Jesus answered him there in verse 28. But then I want you to notice what he said in verse 29. And everyone, that means Jew and Gentile, whether at the present or later, who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farm, for my name's sake, will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. You forsake all. Trusting in nothing else but Christ and following Him, you'll have eternal life. This is stressed three times in this passage of Scripture. Then you have this statement in verse 30 that Jesus says, But many who are first will be last and the last first. He's talking here about equality. Now, look with me at verse 16. Because that introduces the parable where he ends and says the same thing. So the last shall be first, and the first last. Jesus here was emphasizing to his disciples the main point he wanted them to grasp through this parable. That is, there is no partiality with God. Jew or Gentile, whether you come early in life or late in life, you're going to be treated the same by God when it comes to the matter of salvation. All chosen by Him receive eternal life with all of its blessings, whether you are the first or the last one called. (laughs) So yes, as I have studied this passage of Scripture and wrestled with it over the last week, I take this as salvific in nature due to the context. That leads up to it and all that's said within the parable. Now, I do realize that there are others who see this as Jesus speaking of rewards. I get that. I do. But it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I think it is verse 8, and also 1 Corinthians 4 in verse 5. It says that, yes, believers are going to receive rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, but according to their works. So each one is going to receive something different. In this passage of Scripture, in this parable, all are treated equal and they receive the same thing. Okay? So yes, I do believe this is salvific in nature. Well, in verses 1 to 7 of chapter 20, Jesus went on to tell the parable where the landowner, I believe, represents God. The vineyard, the kingdom, the laborers hired at various hours are believers who begin to follow Christ. 
The evening, which is mentioned there in verse 8, would be the twelfth hour, where the day is over with. I consider that to be the time of reckoning, the time of judgment. And the denarius given each of the laborers is eternal life. And then beginning in verse 8, through the rest of the parable, Jesus applied the main point, that the last shall be first and the first last. Again, he's speaking about equality here. Whether you come to Christ early in life and serve Him for years, or whether you come to Christ late in life and maybe serve Him for just a few days, you all receive eternal life with its blessings. Isn't that wonderful? There is no partiality with God. (laughs) Now, beloved, I'm not sure what the disciples thought about all of this. I have to admit that. It's possible here that Jesus was referring to them there in verses 10 to 15. The ones who had come the first hour and worked (laughs) all day long. Yeah. And then grumbled when the rest were treated like them. Now I say that because, again, we go back to 19 and verse 27. Where Peter said, behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? Like, we should be treated special. (laughs) But also, in the following context... Verses 20 through 24, we see the account of James and John (laughs) with their mother. And I want you just to follow along as I read it. There in chapter 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. By the way, they, they set up mom to do that for them. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, my cup you shall drink. (laughs) You bet you will. But to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give. But it's for those to whom it has been prepared by the Father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with their two brothers. So yes, I'm not quite for sure how the disciples responded to all that Jesus said here. But it's very possible that verses 10 to 15 in this passage of Scripture is whom Jesus is referring to. But you know, beloved, we all should be rejoicing like the angels for every sinner who repents, right? Whether they come to Christ early and serve God all of their lives whether they repent and are saved just before they pass away. We should be rejoicing with the angels in heaven because a sinner has repented, right? He has eternal life. He has the blessings of heaven. I want you to quickly look with me, if you would, holding your space here to Luke chapter 23. This is one of my favorite narratives in the New Testament. Luke 23. You're familiar with this count. Remember the two thieves that hung on a cross on either side of Jesus? Okay. 
Luke gives us another picture of what happened that day with those two men. If you go to both Matthew and Mark, all it records is that both of those thieves were railing accusations at Jesus. But then all of a sudden, something changed in the midst of of all of that. And we see that here in Luke 23, beginning with verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. They were both doing that beforehand. But the other answered, rebuking him, said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Beloved, the thief on the cross will be enjoying the blessings of eternal life, just like the disciples, just like Paul, the reformers. (laughs) He will. And is. Now, this may not seem fair, but as I said before, God is the one who determines what's fair, right? That's right. Actually, what's fair is that no one, and I mean no one, receives eternal life, but eternal hell for our sin. That's what's fair. You don't see that in this passage, do you? No. Praise the Lord. (laughs) And so as we go into communion today, I want you to consider with me three characteristics, three characteristics of our God highlighting his impartiality. And I trust that it will encourage your heart as you remember Christ's work on your behalf today. It has encouraged my heart throughout this whole week. I've worked through this passage of Scripture. It's been a rich blessing, and I trust it will be for you today as well. And the first characteristic that I want you to notice is there, beginning in verses 1 and 2 and following, and just uh, follow as I read, starting in verse 1 of chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. Now, go with me to 10 through 14. When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowners, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. We'll stop right there. What is captured in these verses about our God? It's simply this. God is faithful to his word. God is faithful to his word. The landowner here who represents God 
was true to what he said. What he promised, he kept. He did not deal with the first hour workers unjustly, did he? No. In fact, a denarius for a day's labor was the common amount that was received in that day. It was fair. They actually should have been grateful for what they had gotten. First, for the work itself, right? They could have been passed over, and they weren't. And then for what was promised them, what was agreed upon. And the landowner honored that. And you want to know something? I truly believe they would have been thankful had not the late workers received the same amount. Yeah, they would have been. Well, as I mentioned before, those all-day workers possibly represented the disciples whose heart their master saw. Jesus wanted them to understand that there was no need for their attitude. Though they had been with him for three years, serving and suffering for his name's sake, and would continue to do so, it was nothing. I mean, it was nothing compared to the joy of eternal life that was theirs, what Jesus had promised them. I want you to look with me, if you would, at Luke chapter 10. Again, holding your space here in Matthew. Go with me to Luke chapter 10. Here we see Jesus sending 70 out. Very possible that the disciples were with them. But he sent 70 out to declare the message of Jesus. Okay? Look with me at the first three verses. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Now, look with me at verse 17. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice in what? That your names are recorded in heaven. Yeah! You have eternal life. You have a wonderful inheritance ahead of you. Praise God for that. That's what your heart and mind needs to be focused on. John 3.16, we all know that, right? (laughs) For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is a promise from God. And those who believe, God is faithful to them to give them what? Eternal life. He's true to His Word. Just as the landowner was true to those Early hour workers, what he had said, he did. They did not get treated unjustly. 
Oh, beloved, be focused today and every day on the faithfulness of God. (laughs) Yeah. What he has promised, he will perform. Just listen to these words from Paul in Titus 1, 1 to 3. Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of those chosen of God, and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time manifested even his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God, our Savior. I said in the first service, this is a mouthful. But yeah, we go out with the gospel. And those who believe in the gospel have the promise of eternal life. God gives that. He does not lie. (laughs) He is faithful to his word. And so don't get distracted by how God works his will (laughs) in the lives of other believers. Instead, rejoice and continue to serve him because he is faithful and you love him. God is faithful to his word. That's the first characteristic of God that we see in this parable. Very important. Now to another characteristic of God. Go back with me to verses 3 through 9. I skipped them the first go around. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard. And whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? And they said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. Now I want you to notice what it says there. In verse 14 again, Take what is yours and go. He said that to the first hour workers. But I wish to give to this last man the same as you. Now the second half of verse 15. Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So what is clear here? What's another characteristic of God that just shines forth through this parable? It's this. God is gracious to sinners. That's right. God is gracious to sinners. As we just read, the landowner gave each of the laborers the same amount of wages. (laughs) Whether they were in the vineyard for 12 hours, nine, six, three hours, or just one hour. They all got the same. No different. So yes, he was generous, or agathos, as we see there in verse 15. Good, kind, gracious, The landowner was, who represents God. He indeed is gracious. All of these men actually got more than they deserved. Even the first hour workers, right? Yeah, they could have been passed over, but they weren't. And they got what was promised to them. (laughs) You know, the, the, the boss could have cheated them out of that or waited. He didn't. 
They all got more than they deserved. Grace. And this is the point Jesus was making to his disciples. In God's kingdom, salvation and eternal life are not about what you do or how much you do, but are a free gift from the hand of God. They are. The context here supports that. That's so important for us to understand. That's why I took you through the context earlier on that leads into this parable. Because it helps us to understand what's going on here. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? You know that verse. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Turn with me, if you would, to Galatians. Holding your space here. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. And by the way, Galatians is all about Paul defending salvation by grace through faith, apart from works. Okay? Some Christians had gotten sidetracked a little bit. And he had to bring them back in <laughs> through this letter. It was a very pointed letter. But in Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, it says this, notice. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. He goes on in chapter 3. 1 to 6, notice what it says. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Do you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. (laughs) Yeah. Now look with me at verses 21 and 22 of chapter 3. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been placed on law. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin. So that a promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. In Romans 11, 5-6, we have these words from the Apostle Paul. In the same way then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. And he's talking about the Gentiles there, by the way. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. I appreciate what John MacArthur has said here. He said, from beginning to end, the parable here pictures God's divine, boundless grace. The men's work had absolutely no relationship to what they were paid. God's grace is the great equalizer that removes sin and makes every believer equally acceptable to him in Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
Now, beloved, I am fully aware that you know these things. I mean, you hear these things quite often. Probably several times in a month. (laughs) We repeat these truths. Well, I'll tell you. Just as Jesus reminded his disciples of these truths, I'm reminding you of these truths, especially now as we go into communion. Don't you want to be thinking about the faithfulness of God and the grace of God as you go into communion? Understanding that it's not of you, but it's of Him. This is what Jesus wanted His disciples to understand. All our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. That's what Isaiah tells us. And so it's only by Christ's work on our behalf that makes it even possible for us to have eternal life. Isn't that grace? You bet it is. And so meditate upon this today and let that motivate you to do good works that please God. Not because you have to. (laughs) No, but because you want to. That's what Jesus wanted from his disciples. Not looking for, well, what is in this for us? (laughs) They had eternal life. No, serve me because you love me. God is faithful to his word. God is gracious to sinners. Very clear here in this parable. But that's not all. I want you to see one other characteristic. And we're going to go back through verses 1 to 8 again, okay? And I want to see if you pick up on this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. He went out. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour. And he said to those, whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went into the vineyard. Verse 5, again, he went out at the 6th and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing around and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? And then he says there in verse 7, you go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. Now, notice what it says there at the beginning of verse 15. To those the landowner was speaking to that were grumbling and complaining, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? What do you notice there? What do you notice about God? He is sovereign in salvation. That's right. He is sovereign in salvation. As you saw, it was the landowner who went out at different times of the day, seeking laborers, finding them and putting them into his vineyard. And then at the end of the day, he gave them all the same amount, what he wished and promised to do. And verse 15 actually sums it all up. When it says, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? (laughs) 
as landowner. He had the right to do as he pleased. He's the one in charge. But as you observed, he was just and gracious in his authority, was he not? He sure was to every one of them. No one can argue that from this passage. And so the same is true of our God. That's what I want you to understand. Who works out his redemption plan in the lives of each one of us. Jesus wanted his disciples to realize that God prepares the hearts of men. He seeks and saves them all at various times. (laughs) And gives eternal life freely and graciously to them. What did Jesus say to Zacchaeus in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Yeah, these laborers did not go out searching for the landowner. The landowner came to each one of them at different times of the day. So we need to be reminded that God is the one who prepares the hearts of men And then he seeks them out. He saves them. Gives them eternal life. (laughs) How wonderful. Yes, he is sovereign in salvation. In fact, I want you to see what Jesus said earlier to a large group of people, including his disciples. Go with me over to John. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. You know this account? Jesus fed 5,000. He's presenting himself as the bread of life. And this is what he says in verse 35 to 40 of John 6. Jesus said to them, big audience, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Look at verse 44. No man or no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And if that wasn't enough, go with me to 63, to 65. He repeats it again at the end. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe, and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him from the Father. And if that's not enough, the Apostle Paul expounded on it further. I would encourage you all to read Romans 9 to 11, okay, to be taught this one truth, that God is sovereign in salvation. But I'm just going to highlight a few verses in chapter 9, verses 14 to 16, where it says this, What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion, so that it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, 
but on God who has mercy. Wow. Beloved, the sovereignty of God in salvation should humble, should humble each and every one of us as we meditate upon it. Lead us to thanksgiving, praise, and heartfelt worship of Him. In fact, that's what Paul calls for in in Ephesians chapter 1. Go with me there if you would. Ephesians chapter 1. Where we see the Apostle Paul talking about the blessings of salvation. Those who have eternal life. And this is what he reminds his audience here in Ephesians chapter 1 beginning with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's not just for a select few. This is for everybody. Jew or Gentile, whether you were saved early or late, God treats you equal. And what's the first thing He talks about here? Verse 4, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace which He freely bestowed on us and the Beloved. Look at verse 11. Also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. Wow. Everything our sovereign God does is right, just, and gracious. That's revealed in this parable. And so may He help you to have a worshiping heart and not a grumbling heart. Maybe like the disciples who felt that they should have gotten maybe a little bit more. (laughs) In His own way, Jesus, in a sense, is possibly rebuking them through this parable. Reminding them, do you realize what you have? Eternal life and all of its blessings. Don't be focused on anything else but that. Some of you may have heard the story of Marlene, my wife's brother, who came to Christ. When we would visit, she would share the gospel with her brother. He lived in Livingston, Montana. We were living in Miles City, and then we moved to Billings later on. But then he got cancer, really bad. It had really taken hold of him. And so she really took every opportunity she could to share the gospel with him. We would even travel over to Livingston, which was about 150 miles away, just so that she could talk with him. Because she knew he wasn't doing too well. And she would share the gospel with him. And she recalls one time when she was sharing the truth Him saying, why should I cry out to God now? That's like someone in a foxhole who had nothing to do with him until now. I don't want to be like that. And she reminded him, you know what? God doesn't work that way. If you believe in the gospel, you have salvation and eternal life. And she assured his heart with that. Well, as the cancer got worse... They took him to Billings. So we were right there living in Billings at the time. 
And we would go over to the hospital and time and time again while he was there, she would share the gospel with him. He almost said some of the same things he said earlier. But then it got to the point where he wasn't going to live and they were getting ready to send him home to pass away. And so we went home that night and we called our pastor and he went up there to the hospital. By the way, her brother, her other brother was up there too. Okay, and he didn't want this pastor coming. But that pastor just took a few minutes to share with him what it says in John 14 and verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh from the Father but by me. Must have spoken to his heart because he left there to go home. And as he was going home, he tells his brother, who's an unbeliever, I need to see a preacher. I need to talk to somebody. Would you get someone for me? And so his brothers just started getting on the phone there in Livingston and calling everybody. There were a number of pastors he called. No one responded except a Baptist preacher. (laughs) And so he came over, talked with him, and he came to Christ. And about two weeks later, he passed away. We went to the funeral, and by the way, that Baptist preacher was the one who did the funeral because he never had a pastor. And it was that man who talked with him, who was the last to talk with him. And basically, he shared the story of what had happened. My wife and I, who were there, we were just so blessed by that. We went up to the pastor afterwards and just told him who we were. And he says, you know, I've never been in a situation where a man was so ripe (laughs) to receive the gospel and be saved. Marlene and I and this pastor just stood there amazed by the faithfulness, the graciousness, and the sovereignty of God in all of that. We did. We know that even though he was saved at the end of his life, he'll be in heaven with us receiving the same blessings, eternal life. This is what Jesus desired of his disciples to understand. That God is faithful, he is gracious, and he is sovereign in salvation. That's what you need to think about, men. That's what we need to be thinking about. Don't get distracted by how God works in the lives of others and that maybe someone served God far more than you have or less than you have. That's not what it's all about. When it comes to salvation, we all come on an equal basis. The first will be last and the last first. That was the point that Jesus was making in this parable. May God help you to reflect upon him, those glorious attributes in his redemptive plan, especially now as we go into communion. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the attention of your people, God, and for this parable that highlights the wonderful salvation that we have, that when it comes before the cross, Jew or Gentile, saved early or late in life, we're all treated equal. We have eternal life with all of its blessings. We enjoy the inheritance together. And so God, today, as we dwell on who you are, your faithfulness, your grace, your sovereignty, may our hearts rejoice 
as we think about what made it all possible, and that was the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. We pray to this end now. In his name we pray. Amen.